Greetings and welcome to episode number 60 of the Chirping the Cats podcast. I can't believe we've now done 60 of these things over the last few years, but here we are. Uh, I'm your host, David Dwork, here with you once again. And joining me on this episode as we uh, talk about the Panthers season to this point and uh, touch on a bunch of different things that uh, I find interesting that's going on with the Panthers, and I hope you do as well. Joining me is uh, Panthers beat writer, hockey extraordinaire, and... Uh, the guy who you just love to have around all the time. It's Colby guy from Florida hockey. Now Colby uh, first, thank you for, uh, for joining me on the pod. This has been a long time coming. I'm glad I could have you on the pod. Yeah. Um, gl- glad to be here and also uh, glad to be here for a round number as well. Uh, happy 60th. <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. Yeah. It's nice, right? The milestone. I don't know what the, uh, the 60, 60 anniversary is. I know like 50, I think is silver. So I don't know what the 60th is, but, um, you know, we can just toast an adult beverage when we get done and, and call it the uh, the toasting anniversary. That sounds OK, right? Yeah, that sounds like a, a perfect way to go about it. Perfect. All right. Well, in terms of perfection, how about we talk about some imperfection uh, right now? And that would be uh, the Panthers season to this point. I think it's safe to say has been anything but perfection, especially coming off of uh, the amazing uh, franchise season of a year ago when they won the president's trophy where they dominated uh, for much of the year, they had these exciting hockey. They were scoring a ton of goals. It was something that we hadn't seen in Pantherland. Uh, certainly set us up for what we thought was going to be more of the same. Uh, it's been anything, but coaching staff changed. Uh, the team looks completely different on the ice Colby. Um, so I'll, I'll just kind of give it, give you the floor right now. What do you think is the issue? If, if you can even put it on one thing at this point. There, there's definitely more than one issue with this team. I mean, my philosophy with inputting a new coaching staff is that you need at least two months of hockey to really set things in. And everything over the last two months has been this going wrong, that going wrong. Like, first they had Ekblad out of the lineup for the first like 10 games pretty much after those first two, he got injured in Boston there. So you're, you're missing your best defenseman for a while. I don't believe he's a hundred percent at the, at the moment still, but now you're looking at what the team's dealing with. I mean, since, since Alexander Barkov first got sick on November 15th, the team has had a total of nine players out of the lineup, excluding Anthony Duclair. Right. From, from illness and injury and having that amount of players out of the lineup trying to instill a system where, I mean, on paper, when you look at the advanced analytics, they're doing a lot of the right things, but they're maybe not converting on those chances. And when you have guys that are dealing with illnesses and all these other things, maybe it gets harder to do so. And then you have guys who maybe aren't playing at a hundred percent, making one or two mistakes here that lead to a few goals the other way. And all of a sudden you're looking at seven, nine and three through the last since November 15th, when the Ill injuries and illnesses started happening. So, I mean, when you're, when we're looking at it a month ago where the team was around 500 and you only had Barkov dealing with the injury with the illness, you're, you're starting to think like, okay, um, that's a little bit of an excuse there talking about missing just one player, no matter how good Barkov is, your your team should be operate should be able to operate without one guy. But 
when you're when you're looking at nine, ten guys out of the lineup at at a time almost, that's where you're kind of like, all right, maybe we're we should start to um give this guy a little bit of a break. Now, and that actually makes sense in terms of when you look at the team, one of the big things that we've noticed as the years gone on, Colbs, is their inability to really go on any kind of a run. They can't seem to string a few wins together. And it would make sense that every time they start to maybe get a little bit of momentum. And, and the last time that stands out in my head was actually that last West Coast road trip where they started out tough in the two games in Alberta, where they lost one in OT, lost one in regulation at Edmonton and Calgary. But it really felt like as that trip was going on, they were starting to get some good games together, put some good putts together. And then I think it was Seattle when Gudis and Hornquist both got hurt in the same game. And you take a guy who's been integral to your defensive systems, somebody who's been in there day in and day out, who's been solid day in and day out. And you take a guy in Hornquist who's so important off the ice, so important in the room. Uh, they're both out. So again, the most recent time that I saw them starting to pick up a little bit of a steam, uh, that kind of put a <clears throat> put a hole in the tire and we've seen them kind of meandering around trying to just keep the 500 since then. So it, it kind of, I wanted to talk to you about Paul Maurice's comments just consistently in terms of consistency, something we've heard a lot of is he's very much a glass half full guy. And, you know, we thought when Joel Quenville was here that he was a coach who wouldn't criticize his players. He wouldn't throw anybody under the bus to the media like when when Q would call a guy ordinary, that was his way of saying he's doing poorly. With Paul Maurice, he's I, I can't really think of any time this year that he's called anybody out on anything, which is, you know, again, that's I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying in terms of being such a glass half full positive kind of guy, which is definitely the impression I've gotten hearing from him for the last few months. He, he points out what he likes, right? He's like, oh, I saw things in our game that I really liked tonight. I saw things that we were doing well. If we could just maybe clean up one or two turnovers. Yeah, I don't know. And this is what I, this is where my question is, basically. I don't know if I see him as minimalizing bigger issues or if he's right that things are just so close to being where they want them to be. They just can't seem to get pat over that corner, whether it's, as you mentioned, so many guys getting hurt learning new systems that's all being on a condensed time frame and and to combine that with the fact that they've i think they've played more road games than almost anybody in the league to this point which is funny considering the road trips that teams like arizona has gone on uh and seattle i think or somebody else went on a really long road trip recently I, other than arizona i'm trying to remember who it was but either way Colbs, there there's all these little excuses that we're just kind of picking apart but it almost seems like Paul Maurice might actually be right, which is probably the last thing the fan base wants to hear. Yeah, like the, the team has already gone out west for those long Western Conference road trips twice. And I mean, they fared decently well during those road trips. They went around the 500 mark where where you look at that Winnipeg game where Lundell was already out when he got hurt in the Vancouver game. And as you said, with Gudis and Cornquist. When you look at the way they played on those road trips, I think that's a bit promising. But, I mean, as I said before, they're they're trying to learn a system here, and it, it's not going to fully set in after 10, 20, even 30 games. And when you have guys, when you have guys shuffling in and out of the lineup, you, you, you can start to kind of tell where you got to start thinking this guy might be on to something there. 
where it's it's hard for these guys to learn the system with all these things going on at once you're trying to learn to play with new lineates every two seconds because one goes down you're playing with another you're playing shorthanded already five times this season and I mean, even if you look at some of the depth guys who haven't been scoring lately, it's also an issue that kind of boils down to the fact that they had $6 million tied up in buyouts where they couldn't necessarily get that extra depth score they needed. Anthony Duclair has also been missing. That's a guy that would definitely help with their issue as far as finishing. So I think when you're, when you're looking at what he was saying back in November – where the team was a lot healthier you can start to think that maybe this guy might be a bit too glass half full but when you're looking at the fact that this team is very much keeping itself in in games and even in the race to a certain extent while it's going through a period where it has nine guys injured I think that that's where you can start to give the guy maybe a little bit leeway but that that can change yeah, it's almost like the, the perfect shitstorm because you combine the, the roster crunch that we knew they were going to have going into the year, that they had 20 guys in the roster uh, you know, for an opening night. Injuries, illnesses, everything that's happened, like it's, you know, it, it's just been bad. And combine that you know, with the cap situation, with the buyout money that you just mentioned, having uh, Duclair miss at least half the year, um, you know, he's, what are they saying, week to week now? So, you know, I think the expectation is that Duclair will probably be back around All-Star maybe a little sooner. Seems like everything to this point has kind of been on the sooner side with Duke's recovery, which is great for him. And we've seen, you know, we've seen him on Instagram and we've seen him around the rink all year. We've seen him working out. So, you know, it seems like there could be some some positivity on the horizon. Um, One thing that's been positive all year, uh, maybe, you know, as a pleasant surprise, has been the play of uh, Brandon Montel. Um, you mentioned Aaron Eckblad before not looking 100%, something we agree on and we'll touch on in a minute. Um, but with Montour, like he's been he's been a solid player throughout his career. There's no arguing that. Um, I just don't think maybe we were expecting him to be this uh, force offensively this season. I mean, you know, 26 points in 32 games. Uh, for a guy who, what's his career high was, let me check here, 37 points. His career high uh, was last year, right? 21-22. That was last season. So yeah, 37 points. That was his career high. And what is he? Still uh, 28. So this would be the time where he's going to start peaking, right? And look, his play, the points have been one thing, Colby, but defensively, he's been incredibly solid. They've had him out there in all situations. Uh, you would think the perfect complement to a guy like Aaron Ekblad, um, but Montour stepped up in Ekblad's absence. He's really become maybe the focal point. He was great on the power play. When the power play was hot, it was being run by Brendan Montour. It's struggling once again, as it was early in the year. So, I mean, really, has there anybody in the team that's been more consistent, better from start to finish as Brandon Montour has been this year. I mean, you could argue he's been the team MVP to this point. Outside of Matthew Kachuk and Carter Verhage, I'd definitely say Brandon Montour is a hundred percent in that conversation. And the fact that, I mean, he has been such an excellent puck mover throughout his entire tenure in South Florida, 
But the, the thing with him was that he was being used in that six hole last year. He was on the second unit where we saw times where that second unit was clicking and 30 seconds of, of ice time. He was able to move that puck quickly, get, get it to the guy he needs to be. And there, there was a stretch late in last season where he was quarterbacking that second unit very well. And I mean, the way that Paul Maurice has utilized Brandon Montour, albeit it, it, it's kind of been forced with the Ekblad injury too. But the way that he he committed to having Montour quarterback that first power play unit, and it's much better going through Montour than it was with Ekblad because Ekblad's more of a shooter. And putting Ekblad in that shooter role is definitely a better idea than going with Ekblad as a quarterback as the Panthers did throughout the entire season and, and obviously the playoffs last year. So that was a big improvement, but – I mean, Brandon's always been very underrated in the way he shoots the puck, the way he, he skates, the way he passes the puck. And he, he had the tools, but he, he's finally putting it together this season. Yeah, and seeing him with the opportunities, I think uh, in terms of seeing a guy take the opportunity and running with it, uh, nobody's done it quite like Brandon Montour has. He could look back maybe as a guy you just mentioned, Carter Verhady, and his you know the beginning of his time with the Panthers and in terms of taking the opportunity and running with it staying alongside a guy like Sasha Barkov, uh, you know, Brandon Montour has done pretty exceptional this year and he's done it without really anybody uh, next to him, anybody to, to maybe clean up defensive issues, maybe to shadow. He's been, he's been the guy and it's been great to see. Um, and on that kind of same token, another guy I wanted to mention, Josh Mahora, who really, you don't talk about a ton, which is a good thing when it comes to defensemen, right? If you're not talking about them and you're not noticing them, it's probably better than it is worse uh, in terms of defensemen. And just the way that, you know, again, another waiver wire pickup, when you think about Gus Forsling and how great he's been for this team, that he was picked up off the scrap heap. Josh Mahora picked up before the season from Anaheim, right? Uh, some, you know, at the beginning, we spoke to him a few times. We spoke to Paul a few times about the fit about finding somebody in the right situation, putting him in a situation because he's a mover. He's a guy that likes to move with the puck, something that you can't really do when you're on a team like Anaheim is the way they've been playing the last couple of years, particularly. Um, I don't know, Cole, because how, how is it that you can find not now, not one, but two NHL, not just NHL caliber defenseman. I mean, Gus Forsling, obviously he's a top pairing guy at this point. He's proven that, but Josh Mahora is not a, bottom pairing defenseman like he's been quite solid in his own zone he moves the puck well and again like i said he doesn't really make mistakes uh, how do they find these guys off the off the waiver wire and how the panthers get so lucky this has been really impressive to this point with mahora I, I gotta give the scouting department credit for doing their homework on these guys but yeah. i mean just the way that mahura the mobility mahura has and the way he's able to win those battles with the stick I think that's the, where the, the Panthers system is predicated on is getting those puck battles away through skill and starting up through their speed. And that's something that Mahara definitely can do. And he's been doing it very well next to Gudis, who when healthy, he's been able to clean up some of those issues. And really the two have been one of the better pairings in the league, but I mean, he just, he just fits that mold where the Panthers like guys who can be active in the offensive zone get back quickly. And he, he, he's been that type of guy. 
It just kind of reminds me of something that we heard. I think it was either earlier today or yesterday from Paul Maurice talking about um, there was a, a play in the in the game against the the Devils where uh, it may have been their go ahead goal in the third period that came right off at what turned out to be a turnover from Brandon Montour where he was skating it through the neutral zone leading a rush. He gets tripped up at the blue line. The puck comes off his stick. It immediately goes the other way. The Devils have an odd man rush, obviously, because the Panthers were loading up for an entry with their defenseman carrying the puck. And he's like, look, that's going to happen when you're a team that has the defenseman move the puck. I'm not going to eat a guy's lunch over that. And just the way that the Panthers defensemen have that freedom. Like you've seen, we've seen it with Ekblad over the years, right? Where he's just basically got free reign to do his thing. And normally he does his thing. Um, but the other, you know, with, whether it's, whether it's Radko Gudis, whether it's, as we just talked about, Brendan Montour or Mahora or Forsling, whoever these guys can just kind of the freedom to do their thing. This year, we're seeing a little bit more responsibility, right? We're seeing the wingers have to pick up for the defenseman popping up. Obviously that has hindered their ability for that flowing odd man rush high, you know, run and gun style that we had so much fun with last year. But it seems like as we've gotten to this point, they're starting to kind of understand a little bit better where they need to be in those situations. And that play that I'm talking about with Montour, notwithstanding, is kind of an outlier just because of the the mistake. But I think it just goes to show that that's what they're looking to do. And that's why, like, you're not getting criticism when that kind of a play happens where there's a turnover, because nine times out of 10, that puck's getting in deep and that's how the Panthers are going to work. Yeah, that's a part of the growing pains with the system. And I mean, nobody's perfect. These are these are humans as much as they are professional athletes and something's going to go wrong. It's like I have people going after me when I tweet the score wrong if I uh, <laughs> when I'm live tweeting. So, I mean, as much as I'm human when I do that, these guys are human when they do that. And uh, mistakes like that will happen throughout a game eventually. And that one just happened to be right at the end of the game when the goal, go ahead goal happened. But when the system's working well and you, you get the um, result you want out of it. Yeah. That puck's going deep. The forward's going to get it. The defenseman's going to be there to take the shot off pinching in a little bit. And that's how the system's going to run. But yeah, I think if anyone's going after Montour over that mistake, they're just kind of splitting hairs. And I, I do agree with what Maurice said there. Yeah. Um, now, I did want to, before we move on from the defenseman, something that you and I, you know, a lot of us have talked about to this point. It basically comes down to the question, what is up with Aaron Eckblad? We've gotten used to Aaron Eckblad playing at a certain level the last few years. And I think that level is, you can call it Norris quality, right? He has been that good, that consistent, despite the injuries that he's had to you know, work through, suffer through, uh, the last couple of years, some two gruesome injuries uh, on back-to-back seasons that he's worked through and played great when he came back, looked like himself. For whatever reason, Colby, we saw it before he got hurt. We saw it hurt when the season started. He didn't quite look himself and like, you know, whatever it was, like two or three games, just wasn't there. Came back from his injury, still not that guy. He's not the guy that you're, you know, seeing with these end-to-end rushes that we've seen. He's not the guy that, is just making eye-popping plays. Defensively, he's been fine. Defensively, no issue there. But is that the bar now for this guy who's, what? what is he, still 25 years old, I believe? Uh, 26 years old. Oh, he's almost 20. So he'll be 27 in February. Oh, these kids are getting older. 
Um, but like he should be peaking, like this should be entering his prime years. We shouldn't be like wondering if he's on the downslope. So it just kind of makes me wonder like, what's up with Aaron? Is, is there a nagging injury? Is, like there's gotta be something because he's not playing at the level we've come to expect of him to this point. Yeah, that, that first two, one to two game sample size there where he was not 100% to start the season. I mean, that's too short of a sample size for me to kind of put a stamp on anything. But, I mean, ever since he's come back from that injury, he, he has not looked 100%. And, I mean, he, he did come back from that injury pretty quickly. So, I mean, with the team not doing the way it would want to when they got Ekblad back, I think it very well could be that they wanted to get him back so they could avoid a stretch like this. But I, I think he's not a hundred percent out there. He's not as explosive as you expect them to. And I mean, that's come with the mistakes on the defensive end sometimes more so than he'd have when he's playing at his Norris quality. And he, he just hasn't necessarily had it. And I think, especially with the goal scoring there, I think a lot of it has to do with Locke and it has to do with the Panthers facing some pretty good goaltender performances throughout the season. Yeah. But um, yeah, finishing has been an issue throughout the entire lineup. And I think if more of those chances he created were finished, we don't have this conversation, but I think it's just kind of just around the lineup pretty much. If you look at the way, Barkov was producing when he was in the lineup. He yeah, he was getting some chances, but he wasn't converting. I mean, I think mm. it's more of an issue for Barkov there, but I think he gets a little bit of a pass where he was playing through illness for a few games here, and now he's hurt. So there's just a lot going on throughout the lineup. Yeah. You know, what's, in, what's interesting, I'm just kind of like looking at Vlad's stats, his advanced numbers – have gradually improved as his year has gone on, which, you know, is good, but his plus minus kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. It's by far the worst on the team. And when I say by far, I mean, by, by eight, he's a minus 14. The next highest guy is minus six and that's a forward. Um, So it's, it's just been very, it's been a head scratching year for Aaron Eckblad and we can just, Hope that whatever whatever it may be is something that he's working through. And, and, you know, you talk about a guy like Barkov, like, yeah, he's he has a legitimate, you know, he had a what was reported to be a pretty significant. It's not an upper respiratory. If it's a pneumonia, it's more of a lung thing, but something that is going to take you some time before you're back just walking normally, breathing normally. That takes some time. So for guys that are playing professional athletes, it, it will definitely take some time. And, you know, we've seen that there's been illness going through the locker room this year seen guys banged up so yeah i'm just i don't want to you know i don't want to suggest anything because I, I honestly if there's something that's bothering aaron Eckblad, i have no idea what it may or may not be he has not give you know alluded to anything when i asked him you know if he's been kind of not himself uh, like a month or so ago he just kind of was like well actually i'm being feeling fine so so he just kind of blew that off um so yeah i guess we'll just have to wait and see and hope that uh for his sake and for the team's sake, that he really turns things around, right? Yeah, and I mean, when he came off IR, he was playing next to Mark Stahl, who wasn't necessarily having the greatest stretch of uh, time throughout uh, that period of time, but Stahl has very much improved next to Montour since he, yeah. he, he uh, made the switch there, but 
having an ailing Ekblad next to Stahl, who was kind of going through it at the time, uh, that didn't necessarily help his cause either. And that's kind of where maybe he was more put, uh, pitching towards a defensive end and he wasn't getting those opportunities sometimes too. But, yeah, I mean, now that he's back with Forsling, those numbers are improving, and that's a better sign. So uh, one thing I want to ask you about, something that's kind of getting talked about a lot this presently this week is uh you know we've mentioned sasha barkov's name a few times he's out of the lineup right now uh apparently it's a you know they said they actually said it's a lower body injury have they said anything specifically about it? it's like can't even remember if it's been specifically labeled by the team to this point it it happened on a play where it looked like his knee got hit on a face-off against the devils with uh, nico Heischer like a week ago and there has been a lot of Thought, I guess a lot of accusations of the calling it a dirty play. Uh, you know, the Panthers were apparently going after he sure a bit at the game in Jersey. We saw Matthew Kachuk go after him at the end of the game on Wednesday night uh, here in South Florida. Um, I've watched the play a few times, Colby, the play where Barkov was p- apparently hurt uh, the face off. And from what I saw, while it looked like unfortunate, I don't, I didn't see anything dirty. I saw Nico Heischer trying to win a face-off with his bottom hand flipped over, trying to draw the puck back, right? The puck yeah. squirted to the left, squirted away, like towards the boards, away from the face-off in the direction of Heischer's stick blade. So he's still digging at the puck, trying to knock it back. But if your hand's flipped over and you're digging with that hand, your other hand is going, you know, if you're like, I'm, I'm miming it on a podcast here, which makes zero sense, but if your lower hand is digging and your up hand has to go forward, it's going to go, it's going to go forward. And that went right into Barkov's knee, which from the angle you're watching, it looks like he's trying to hit his knee on purpose when he's actually staring at the puck, digging at it with his other hand. So unfortunate play. Yes. Hopefully Barkov's not hurt. It didn't seem like that significant when he saw it, but I don't think based on what I've seen in the replay that it was dirty at all. Your thoughts. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there because I think that that's definitely a natural motion when you're trying to win a face-off. But, I mean, the thing that splits hairs with me is that I I don't know if you really should be going that hard with only 2.2 seconds left in the clock. I I believe the Devils were in the offensive zone when this happened, where you don't necessarily have to worry too much about anything going the other way. And you're not necessarily having enough time to get a whole lot off. I mean, they can get the shot off, but when it's kind of already dug near Barkov's knee at that point in time with the clock running down, I think there's definitely a point where you can sit there and say, I got to stop going for it. But I mean, as far as the motion at the knee goes, I think that it, it wasn't intent. There wasn't intent behind it. And, I mean, Nico went out and said that he was going hard at the last few seconds there, trying to win the faceoff. He cares about the draws there. So, I mean, it doesn't seem like there's intent there, but I don't think it was necessary. Fair enough. I just uh, wanted to touch on it just because it's been – it's very talked about lately, and I don't know, just my take on it, I feel like I – I don't think that it's a very popular one. I don't hear anybody calling it anything but a dirty play. And I just didn't think that's what it was. Um, and that'll be it. So let's see a couple other things to get to, as we have Colby guy here on the uh, chirping the cats podcast, the Florida hockey. Now, thank you again to Colby for joining me. 
I will uh, let you get back to your, uh, what is it, Thursday? I'll let you get back to your Thursday evening. Go watch the Jets-Jags football game in just a few minutes. Um, one thing I wanted to quickly touch on is the trade, right? The trade. It's been, what, about 30 games now, give or take. Um, Matthew Kachuk to Florida in exchange for Jonathan Huberto, Mackenzie Weger, Cole Schwent, and a first-round pick. Is that what it was, Colby? Yeah. All right, cool. So let's just look at the meat of the trade right now. And that's Kachuk in Florida, Huberto and Weger in Calgary. To this point, and obviously it's a super small sample size, and this is a trade that's going to be viewed for years. So far, it seems like this was pretty looking pretty good on the Panthers. As you've got a guy in Kachuk who's leading this team in scoring, 39 points in 31 games. Um, basically everything that you hoped he would be, that you were expecting him to be, he has been for the Florida Panthers. Now, on the other side of it, you've got Jonathan Huberto. You know, he's done okay. 22 points in 29 games is certainly nothing to sneeze at. That's very solid. Just five goals to this point, but we knew he's never a goal scorer. Um, Mackenzie Weeder is yet to get his first goal in Calgary. He's only got seven assists. Um, it just looks like on paper, uh, it's been a win for the Panthers. Both teams on, on the team level have struggled, Colby. But in terms of just looking at, the guys that were exchanged for one another to this point, looks like the Panthers certainly got the better end of this deal. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Matthew Kachuk has been exactly what the Panthers ordered here. And I mean, he's fit well in that system. They're trying to play where he wins those pucks in the corners and he can do crazy things with his hands. I mean, he is called a unicorn for a reason and he's delivered on just about everything there. And he's at a Panthers lineup where just about everything has been inconsistent. As we were saying earlier in the show, he has been one of the most consistent parts of that lineup. And I think as guys start to get back in and he's going to be a driving force of this team in the future. And the fact that he's four years younger than Jonathan Huberto, I think that's really going to help in the long run there. I mean, I've heard from people in Calgary how good Mackenzie Weger is defensively, and from the times I got to catch Calgary, he's definitely proven that with some big plays back there. And, I mean, Huberto, 22 points, 29 games. That's doing all right, but not what he was last year. I think Calgary's going to be fine with this trade, but the Panthers got what they want out of it. And, I mean, especially in a season where it looks like it's going to be a wash, you're going to want to have those extra years of contention that, that Kachuk gives you. Yeah, the, the guy is normalizing between the leg shots and tips, which is pretty ridiculous that it's it's so hard to do. So few guys do it. And he's basically got it in his, you know, everyday repertoire. Like it's just another puck handle, like it's just another deke. So he he's at another level. And again, just uh, in his mid-20s, you would assume the best is yet to come from uh, Matthew Kachuk. So it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, being The age difference is going to be such a huge thing from that trade. Um, before we talk about some non-hockey stuff, the last Panthers related thing I want to ask you about is something that I obviously pay a lot of attention to, and that's the goaltending. Now talking about the goaltending right now, not talking about the future, the outlook or anything like that, just this season right now, I don't think it's good enough from what we've seen this year. If the Panthers are, they want to be this cup contending team, I don't see it in the goaltending right now. Uh, Bob has regressed a little bit. He was great for the majority of last year. I thought he may have been their most consistent player in the playoffs, him and Carter Verhage. Um, But this year just hasn't been there. His challenging has been 
sometimes he's deep, sometimes he's challenging further out. His rebound control has been a mess for the most part. Uh, it was good in the last game, right? But that's one game. Um, it, it's just, he doesn't seem to be there. And Spencer Knight, again, we've seen flashes from Spencer Knight. And he's still young. He's still just 21. Um, but he's not the guy yet. I'm not saying he won't be, not saying he's not close. But I'm talking about right now, Colby. I just don't see the goaltend, you know, even if they get their shit together, even if the systems are all in place, everybody's healthy, the goaltending is going to have to be better for this team to, to make any kind of playoff damage, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I, I could definitely see that for sure. And I mean, it has been a season where, I mean, for Spencer Knight coming off of a pretty lengthy illness and hasn't really got that much action, I don't think Boston was necessarily a team you'd want to put him in against. No. And I mean, it showed there, and I think he needed a little bit more time to get Spencer back in with other things. But as far as Bobrovsky goes, he, he's definitely improved on those things he struggled on over the past few games here. Ever, ever since Winnipeg, pretty much, he's had – I think he's only had maybe two or three starts where he was under a 900 save percentage and he steadily improved on the rebound control, although that still needs some work. That's always been a thing with him over the last couple of years, but I mean, he's definitely become more confident. He's making the saves you'd want him to make. So I think in the, in the near future, I think Bobrovsky's really coming into his own a little bit as compared to his first year in Florida, where, it kind of felt like the wheels were falling off the entire time. But I think if, if you get the version of Knight that was playing before he got sick in Winnipeg, I, I think that's going to be a little bit more promising. But there, there are a lot of question marks for sure. Yeah, it, w- it was nice to see Knight perhaps starting to turn that corner because you know it's going to happen. I mean, you don't know it's going to happen, but you would assume just as good as he is and as young as he is, the more opportunities he gets, the better he's going to get. And uh, it, that momentum will build. And it looked like he was starting to get to a point when uh, when they were on that West Coast road trip. And then that Winnipeg game happened. Um, and, yeah, we'll see what happens. He hasn't really played since then. Um, he, like you said, he got that one game in Boston. That was kind of a disaster. And that was his first game back. And he hasn't really been back since. So, you know, we'll see after the holiday break. Although maybe we'll see him uh, tomorrow on Long Island. We don't know yet. But either way, uh, as you said, I agree. He needs to really go on a run because I think I do think if anybody's going to be that guy for the Panthers this year, it'll probably have to be Spencer Knight. Yeah, and Bobrovsky will start that last game on Long Island, so oh, there you and go. Spencer's going to get a little bit of a break here with the holiday break. Knight's uh, Bob's going to play the last game there, and then it'll be a good reset to see what happens uh, following that break. But it looks like they're riding Bob for now. All right. So the last thing, Colby, that I want to get into is not hockey related, but feel like it's something that you and I and other uh, of our esteemed South Florida hockey media members have talked about uh, many a times in uh, different press rooms. And that is uh, your pop culture experience or lack thereof, I guess, would be what we usually talk about, um, as there's a lot of great movie anybody that's followed the panthers for a while that's followed me or that's followed your colleague george richards knows that we're very pop culture we talk about a lot of movies a lot of goofy things music which you get in on to your credit there's just a lot that you have not watched yet we're not going to talk about that the first um, when i uh, tell our listeners when i first told you that that i wanted to get into this stuff your first reaction was oh boy here we go again i'm going to get roasted that is not what this is about 
this is educational, uh, Colby educational. I want to hear your best shows before I give you some suggestions or give you some shit. So what's the Colby guy, Mount Rushmore of TV shows? Uh, I guess number one has to be Seinfeld. Um, All right. I, I, I've pulled off a few good Seinfeld references. That's an uh, excellent place to start. But I mean, as a, as a New Yorker, a Long Islander, a, a Mets fan, like Jerry Seinfeld is uh, on the Mount Rushmore of people next to Billy Joel, as far as people from Long Island. So, okay. I mean, even as someone who was not alive when Seinfeld was actually running, <laughs> I have made it a point to watch it throughout my very young life. And I mean, even before I got to the press box, I've watched every episode of Seinfeld before. So, I mean, okay. that, that was one, that was one area where I had a leg up. Excellent. Great, great place to start. And then next would be, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Just oh, another great one. Hilarious. That show is. And how hilarious Danny DeVito is in that show. He is <laughs> one funny man. Oh my so, God. I, I'd say uh, it's always sunny is number two. And I think that's just about it as far as shows I've actually watched from start to finish. I mean, any non comedies? What am I going to put like SpongeBob on there? No, that's a comedy. It's a cartoon, but it's still a comedy. No, I mean, you know, most people will talk about like The Wire is an amazing show, 24, you know, those type of shows. I, I never really got into it. Like I was trying to watch Breaking Bad a few a few weeks <laughs> ago and like I barely could sit through the um, the first couple episodes there. Like my I have like a very slow attention span. And if something's not like making me laugh or getting me genuinely interested, I'm like, I'm done with this. Like. <laughs> I need something to be bouncing around and make me feel like I'm on some sort of drug for me to like pay attention to it. So like, okay. I'm always just sitting there on TikTok instead because I'm like scrolling <laughs> through like 15 second videos all of a sudden. And then my friends yell at me for sending them too many because I like to share them with my friends if I find them funny. And then there again, I, I have like my, my buddy sitting there with like 60 of them in his note in his inbox. And he's just like, Colby, what the hell are you doing? So you're that so guy. Like, you're, you're that friend. Yeah, I'm that friend who You're the forward friend. everything that I find funny. I'm sitting here with attention deficit disorder, sending everything I find. Those poor people uh, cannot get a break. So, I mean, that's, that's how I spend my time. Uh, well, I'm almost afraid to ask what your Mount, Ru or not even Mount Rushmore, what your, your top movie selection would be. I'm trying, what would I guess would be a Colby Guy movie selection just based on, hmm. It would have to be something from this millennium. Have to be something. Hmm. Like what would what would this millennium's Independence Day be? I, I surprisingly, I don't really watch a lot of movies from this millennium. All right. Well, you tell me then. I'm, I'm going to be guess myself into a stupor. I mean, I, it's it's all the hockey movies. Like my number one for the longest time, just because of how stupid it was, was MVP, the one with the monkey playing hockey. Just just because, like when I was a kid, and I watched that movie about like twenty times when I'm a kid. Most valuable primate. Yes. <laughs> yeah, sitting there watching that movie as a kid, I, I'm like sitting there on like some sort of like ecstasy watching this monkey go around and play hockey and i thought it was the coolest thing ever like i remember I, I was in a boy scout troop that made a trip to um to fla live arena actually for a, a camp out 
to watch Panthers Penguins and then we camped out afterwards and watched MVP while sleeping on a just the floor of the arena and we were watching it on the jumbotron and like i was in heaven that that was my favorite movie as a kid but okay. i mean now i i'd i like i like i like the whole mighty ducks trilogy I mean, yes you, you get the, your comedy moments and it's um, a great trilogy all three you, of them you get hockey in there and i mean the hockey gets better as they get towards the last one too. Like as we got older, we demanded more accurate hockey. And I think in, as well as they could in the Mighty Ducks trilogy, they delivered as it got better. Yeah. Like the start of it. Yeah. You're a kid and you're looking at the flying V being like, Oh my God, this is so cool. Then you realize like when you're about 12 years old, that that move would be offsides if they actually tried it. So when you Man, get to you, you the, just shattered the, so much of my my youth right there. Like, yeah, you know what? The flying V would probably be offside. Well, that, I guess that's what uh, Iceland figured out in part two. When, you know, whoever was at the head of the V had to cross the blue line, Iceland knew, well, I got to take that guy out and the whole thing falls apart. And that's what happened. And then poor Goldberg's facing a five on O. Yeah. And uh, so when you figure out that and Gordon Bombay has to actually go into his little bag of tricks there and, uh, Draw up a play that would be actually legal and not leave the goalie uh, unattended there. Yeah, I think that was a very big turning point in the series where you're you're getting some legitimate hockey. And well, and speaking of offside though, because what was the famous one from part two, right? The knuckle puck. Yeah, where they dropped it back to the goalie who was actually Russ Tyler, and he winds up with the knuckle puck. That couldn't happen either. Now that I think of it, because that's offside too, because they just dropped the puck back into their own defensive zone. And every, what everybody else is just, you know, unless they missed the part where the rest of the team is hauling ass to get out of the offensive zone before this knuckle puck crosses the blue line again, which maybe happened. I don't know. We didn't, we have to actually go back and watch the replay of this, uh, this gold medal game between team USA, the USA ducks and uh, Iceland. But yeah, we, this, this could be a whole nother podcast series where we watch hockey movies and dissect how they, you know, just basically ruin them for, for hockey people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah, I'm I'm talking myself out of this idea now. But man, like this is this is like this disappointing. So the two most famous Mighty Ducks goals, perhaps both of them shams. Yeah, they're, they're lucky the, that the, the um the referees in the Mighty Ducks universe aren't as uh, averse to <laughs> yeah. um, the technology that the NHL has now, where they yeah. review every goal for offsides, and you have a cool goal by Connor McDavid going through the wayside because of an offside call. Yeah, no, I, I, those refs were definitely operating off the off the cuff. I mean, what was it? Two minutes for roping for Dwayne Robinson, Dwayne Robertson. Yeah. So, you know. All right. Um, before before we end this, I just I do have to ask what's on the to watch list? What's on your list of things to watch? Uh, I'm trying to get a way to watch Naked Gun because that was something that uh. George has been like hammering on me. Like I even have some of my friends telling me to watch it, but like it's on Showtime. Like I was trying to get Paramount Plus. I had a they had a free trial to it. Uh, I tried to get in it, and they're like, "You need Showtime to watch this." I'm like, "God damn it! Let me watch this movie." <laughs> but I I ended up watching Zoolander on there instead. This is a separate rant from what's to watch, but I watched Zoolander instead, and I'm sitting there like. I feel like I'm on meth watching this movie. There, there <laughs> is so is much going on and not, not enough like 
what is this guy doing? Okay, that that's happening. That's happening. Oh, Owen Wilson's here. Like, <laughs> that's the guy that played Lightning McQueen. Oh, uh, that's basically what my brain was doing the entire movie. So, I mean, when you're talking about movies that will keep me entertained for two hours, that's what I'm looking for. Speaking of Owen Wilson, like Wedding Crashers, have you seen that one yet? I have not. All right, so we're just gonna have to make like a list and i t- this isn't a this isn't colby shaming that's not what i'm doing i'm just saying we should make a list so we could at least keep track and check them off and have proper discussions um maybe this will be a new podcast series that we could talk about another time just going through the uh extensive list of all the things that you just have to check off so that you can you know experience these amazing things and talking about them as you do it whether you like it or not. Like, for example, the experience of feeling like you're on meth while watching Zoolander is quite interesting. And then seeing Owen Wilson in Zoolander and thinking, oh, hey, there's the animated Lightning McQueen guy. (laughs) I mean, I was obsessed with that that movie when I was a kid. So that was all I could think about. He's Lightning McQueen, and then he's, wow. Those are two things that come to my head. Although... To Zoolander's credit, I don't think I really heard a wow in that movie from Owen Wilson. In Zoolander? I, I don't remember hearing a wow. No, I, I think there was one. Uh, we're totally getting far field. I think that I'm pretty sure when they had the whole scene at his place, when 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 Zoolander shows up with, uh, you know, his wife, his wife in real life, uh, yeah, wow, we're 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 totally butchering this. When oh, Ben Stiller's wait. character shows up with uh, is the girl, whatever, and they have the whole orgy scene. I think there was a wow in there. If oh I'm yeah, honest. I remember that now. I remember that when she now. was like talking about like what she has or hasn't done in her life, and they're so having their, what their we herbal do every tea. single time when we're at a Panthers practice where you guys are talking about a movie, and then we're we're talking about everything I have not watched yet. <laughs> yeah, and then you're just in the back saying, "Wow, wow." Very Owen Wilson. All right, I think that's a great <laughs> five minutes ago would have been a great spot, but I'm going to call it a call it a pod at this point as uh, we're we're going to ramble our way right into uh, into Apple somehow canceling this podcast. But thank you <laughs> to Colby Guy from Florida Hockey now for joining episode sixty of the Chirping the Cats podcast. Uh, I really appreciate your time and your candor, your knowledge, Colby. And uh, please let uh, if anybody's still listening to this at this point, please let them know where to find you and what you're working on, all that good stuff. Yeah, so just uh, go ahead and follow me on Twitter at Colby D Guy, and as always, subscribe to FloridaHockeyNow.com to check out everything that myself and George, who everyone listening at this point of the podcast knows George at this point. Yes, I would assume so. I would assume so. I mean, just look at what we both do. We're working pretty hard getting you some good content here, so definitely check that out, and it should be about it. Definitely uh, can confirm that nobody nobody that is not employed by the team is putting in the amount of work blood sweat and tears that uh, george and colby do and no no disrespect to uh, what jameson at the panthers does because he busts his ass uh and puts in a lot of work as well but in terms of guys that are on the outside grinding away nobody does it like colby guy and george richards so definitely if you don't already give florida hockey now a subscription follow them on twitter and uh, definitely patronize their work because, again, other than myself, I think I'm okay, but definitely Colby and George are the guys. And uh, I remember if you are a fan of my work, you can find all my written coverage 
on uh, local10.com or you can download the local 10 app as well. You can follow me on Twitter at David Dwork for my coverage of the Panthers. And I'm sure you'll see some cross tweeting between myself and Colby and George and Jameson and Jordan McPherson and all the great Panthers uh, media that's around Aaron Brown, Roy Bellamy. We're all around having some fun. So just give us all a follow on Twitter. And uh, if you haven't already smashed the subscribe button on this podcast, leave a good rating, maybe a good comment if you feel so indulgent. It is the holiday season, right, Colby? So holiday uh, positive positive comments are a good thing, right? Good holiday gift. Yeah, and everyone listening to this podcast can't see it, but uh, David and I are wearing holiday-centric shirts today. So uh, Totally unplanned. Unplanned, but... Unplanned. <laughs> we both show up for this wearing our... Colby's got gingerbread men and candy canes, and I've actually got a Panthers holiday sweater T-shirt that uh, they gave away at some point. So we're 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 very festive. So and on that note, everybody have a great holiday. Obviously, uh, if you haven't, you know, whether you're celebrating Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa, Festivus, whatever it may be, have have a great holiday. Take care of yourselves. Stay safe. Be kind. And as always, stay cool. We'll see you next time. <laughs>